0: Welcome to WeChat Divorce with Karen Chaloux, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA, co-founders of My Divorce Solution, the company that delivers the quintessential financial blueprint to couples facing or going through the divorce process. This blueprint, known as the MDS Financial Portrait, establishes the foundation and options an individual or couple would need to make clear financial decisions when considering divorce. Each podcast, Catherine and Karen sit down with divorce professionals and other individuals who provide insight and frank discussion about real people, real situations, and real divorce. to WeChat Divorce Podcast. In this episode, we have the privilege of um, introducing attorney Rosemary Ferrante. She's an attorney licensed in New York and Connecticut who focuses her practice on non-adversarial divorce through mediation and the collaborative divorce process. Welcome, Rosemary.
1: Hi, ladies. Hello. Thanks. Nice to see you. you.
0: Happy you're here. I feel like we have a lot to talk about today, but first, why don't you give us a little bit of background on how you ended up where you are today and focusing on non-adversarial divorce?
1: Sure. Um, So again, my name is Rosemary Ferrante, and I'm an attorney licensed in New York and Connecticut. Um, I began litigating many, many years ago, and quickly realized that it was not the best process for families to transition through the divorce process. Um, so I chose to focus solely on non-adversarial divorce, mediation and collaborative divorce. Uh, my practice is in Connecticut. I, um, one, of, one of the most important things I think for people who are contemplating divorce should understand is that there are many professionals who are available to assist them through the process. And the professionals needed are really specific to your family. So somebody's mediation might not be the same as yours. And the professionals there to assist you might be different based on your specific needs and the needs of your family. So I do try to help people identify those resources and professionals to better assist them through the process and make, to help them make the best decisions they can for themselves and their family.
2: That's great. That's really an important point. It's not one size fits all. But one thing that's really common in all of them is making sure the details in your agreement are sound, which is why we always love, you know, Karen and I, you know, we do the financial portrait, so we don't give legal advice, nor um, do we suggest to give legal advice in any way. But we always say, go get your agreement reviewed before you sign it and maybe bring it back to us to review the financial component because we even always see uh, agreements come up and the financial piece is not even written correctly, which can really impact them in the future. Do you see that often?
1: Often. often. You know, and so the, the assistance of a CDFA, as, as you are, are, is so critical in, in divorces. And you know that can come in a lot of different packages, right? So sometimes in a collaborative divorce, there's a neutral financial professional who's assisting the family as one neutral. Sometimes um, one spouse just needs assistance in understanding the finances, understanding the decisions they're going to make. Um, And so sometimes a a CDFA can be working with one spouse outside of the mediation. Sometimes it's a co-mediation with a mediator and a financial neutral. And so it looks different. It's really, I just had a consultation with a family this morning, um, and we were discussing that. You know, it's, it's a family decision, but it's also an individual decision. What help do you need so you can be prepared to make the best decisions to set up your post-divorce financial life? And it, a, a real thorough understanding is important for, you know, not only the mediator attorney helping them through the process, Um, but for the individuals themselves, and and your role is just critical.
0: Yeah, and having that knowledge and understanding of the the finances before mediation is just so critical, I believe, Um, you know, because I'm guessing, I, I tell our clients, the first thing a mediator or an attorney is going to ask when you sit in front of them is, What do you want? Where do we start? Where are we going from here? So that you can understand generally where they're positioned. And having that financial clarity to start with is just extremely beneficial. Talking about details, I think that's the first detail everyone should be able to talk about. (laughs) Of course,
1: course, you know, and some people, um, it, it works better for their family to work with the CDA CDFA initially, the financial professionals initially and then you're starting mediation sort of at square D or F or P as opposed to a. And so you're not you know just hiring professionals to hire professionals and you know doing the same thing with each of them. Mm-hmm. It's making the process more efficient if you're working with the financial professionals in a preparing what ultimately the court requires with regard mm-hmm. to your financial affidavit. And B, understanding as a family, what are these decisions and how do they impact our future? So, what are the best decisions we can be making? Are there refinance issues? You know, identifying what the issues are and together understanding them. So, together in the mediation, we can make the best decisions.
2: Yeah, so we love that our portrait does do that for you as the mediator and it outlines all these things to consider. Um, we have that recommendations and consideration with each of your assets. But how do we prevent those recommendations and considerations in your agreement from being written properly? How do you know when you have a really well-written agreement? Because most people at the end, they're like, yay, we're here. We did it. I'm done. I never have to speak to you again. <laughs> and we're relying on the professional to just drop my paperwork. And when you read it, it might seem okay. So you just sign off or... You don't read it. You sign off because you're trusting everyone. Let's talk about some common mistakes that you see. I know you're really you you write really good agreements, um, but I know you're a reviewing attorney as well, um, and I know that we wrote a blog together, um, which we were really excited to write with you. So, what are some some common mistakes that you see?
1: Yeah, we we had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with you ladies writing that article because it. It, it did identify things that we all as professionals see. You know, After going through hopefully a uh, conscientious and deliberate mediation process, the last thing you want is six months later to try to divide an asset and realize there was a mistake or your agreement doesn't have the proper language to effectuate whatever your intention might have been. Um, and so we see this time and time again and language is critical. Um, what what attorneys should recognize is you don't know what you don't know, and sometimes that's a hard pill for attorneys to swallow. But work with the <laughs> financial professionals. You know, before I draft, often time the tax provisions in an agreement, I want to talk to the family CPA or I want to talk to a neutral financial and make sure that that language is appropriate. Because you know, how often have we as divorce professionals seen an agreement that says, so-and-so will refinance the house within three months, four months, eight, big eight one. months. And they never spoke to a mortgage professional come to find out they're not going to be approved. And they can be in contempt of that agreement by no fault of their own. Why aren't we talking to the financial professionals before we're signing our agreements or holding mm-hmm. people to a standard they can't meet?
0: That's so good. And if the standard is not met, then what? So we run into that a lot. You know, one spouse or the other has agreed to refinance within six months, even if they know they're going to be approved, but they don't do it, then what? So I know in a lot of attorneys' minds, it's, well, they'll file a petition for contempt. They don't have another $10,000 to spend to enforce the agreement. So I think there are provisions in the agreement that can be spelled out to prevent that really expensive step.
1: Absolutely. And those frameworks are so important because life happens and things change. So whether it's an income provision about child support, you know, you know your kids are four and five and your income is X today. Well, who knows what your income's going to be in five years? Are you, would you like to just in five years say, Something's changed. What do we do about it now? And your agreement gives you no direction. Or would you prefer to have had those discussions and say, Our agreement says every two years, we're, you know, every year we're going to exchange income information and every two years we're going to revisit. And this is how we're going to take step A, step B, and step C. So you have a framework because life changes. And certainly on things like income provisions. You want to provide a framework so that people have a direction when something happens, and they're not just saying, "Great, we have to call the lawyers again," right? right?
0: And disrupt the whole family unit again because somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do, and the other one doesn't want to be on the hook for it. Yeah, that's a big, a big deal. And I think another really big issue um, is the division of. Pensions and four hundred and one ks, and how that plays out, and IRAs post the divorce agreement. Again, to Catherine's point, that the, the saying the percentage is probably one of the easier parts of that category.
2: What was that? I
0: missed you on there saying I, what? I said the percentages is probably an easier conversation to have than the implementation of it post the divorce agreement. So I think Rosemarie, you were talking about that before we hopped on here about a conversation you had recently had.
1: Yeah, yeah so I had a call from um, a woman who was divorced uh, just a few months ago. And the agreement said that these certain assets uh, were 401ks and would be divided via quadros and so she went to the time and expense of meeting with an attorney who is a, a, a Quadro drafter and come to find out that not only are those two 401ks not 401ks, but IRAs, they don't need Quadros and they could do direct rollovers. Um, and by the way, there was a third account, a third IRA that was never mentioned in the divorce. It's not mm-hmm. in the Davids. You know, so there's a, a level of, of due diligence um, that mediators and attorneys assisting families need to do. And if they're unable to, then involve financial professionals. The, you know, so now this poor woman does not know what to do, and there's no framework like we were just talking about you know, to get to get her ex-husband back to, say, the mediation table or, you know, some process other than having to file a motion.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. No yeah. one's coming back. They're not coming back. <laughs> They're high-telling that up there. You know, we had the same thing happen. We had a client, and in our recommendations and considerations, we said your IRA does not need to be split by a quadro. You know, it could just be transferred through your financial planner with the proper paperwork. Well, their mediator was telling them, I'm spending all this time and I'm doing you a favor and I'm going to figure out how we could not have this um, quadrode. Well, he's billing her for doing something that he should have known. An IRA does not need to use quadro paperwork. If you're listening, that's the qualified domestic relations order. And it's the way that you transfer ERISA-run plans, which is not an IRA. So, yeah, that's very important to know because they are charged $450 and upwards to do a Quadro, um, so it's an expensive thing as well. But again, you can catch it. And Karen catches a lot of, um, when you write these agreements up with the Quadro in that section, when you do need a Quadro, which a lot of accounts do, Karen gets all crazy because what happens if they die before this paperwork is even done? And what are some of the other- um, I, have have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Good. I have
1: a one that I see all the time is, you know, whether people decided and agreed upon a dollar amount. And they don't convert that to a percentage and they don't deal with uh, market fluctuations from the date of the divorce until the date the quadro is actually effectuated until it's actually entered. And so if you have a $500,000 401k, and you agree at the time that you're going to divide it 50-50. So the agreement says the, the quadro is going to reflect a $250,000 payment. And then guess what? It takes six months. The market tanks. It's only worth three fifty now. And now you just gave up much more than the 50% that was intended. Mm-hmm. That language is so critical. It's mm-hmm. so important.
0: Um, And another piece is making sure your accounts are properly identified. We see so many agreements come through where the parties have a four husband has a 401k plan and they've agreed to divide it 50 50. Okay. That doesn't get far with a plan administrator because it could be any 401k plan. They don't, they don't even have verification that it's yours, nor can they verify that the couple knew it was their plan. So that's, that's a, big deal, just not putting the entire account number because you want to be careful about your identifiers and public documents, but making sure the agreement definitely um, describes the specific account that's being um, referenced.
2: Well, let's imagine that. Imagine that your agreement reads that. And then afterwards, you have to rely on your ex-spouse to get you a statement. To identify a 401k, and let's just say it's a scenario like you mentioned, Rosemarie, and there's other 401ks that they don't want to mention. So to get your spouse back to get that paperwork would be very costly, rather than doing it during the process. Right. Now. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of um, a lot of plans now, more and more that I see where the plan administrator has a fee in addition to the Quadro preparer and making sure it's understood who's paying for what because that's another hiccup down the road when they're arguing about who's paying and I thought you were paying and we only agreed to pay this or that. And then, you know, then again, to Rosemary, your point, there's a delay and, you know, it's a stalling point and the person who has the account, they don't really have any incentive to make sure it gets divided. So, yeah.
1: And, you know, well, the things that we're talking about, you know, when we were talking about um, something you had said earlier about the refinance or whether it's an IRA or an IRA not requiring a quadro. To me, that's sort of divorce 101. All, all attorneys and mediators should know that. But now, when you're talking, but now, you know, when you're talking about pensions, pension plans, like, are not for normal people to read, right? I mean, they are so... <laughs> hard to understand. So in that aspect, when you're getting to things that are much more complex or have different survivor benefit, uh, um, you know, um, what's the word? Options. Yeah, options. You, Mm -hmm. You really need to have somebody explaining that to people going through the process in layman's terms so they can really understand what does that mean? What happens if somebody dies and those are not identified in your agreement and or your quadro?
2: Yeah. Yeah, What things happens such the, as- is, What happens if the pension is in payout mode and that option was already declared and what happens if that spouse dies within six months of you starting to receive it or a year? What happens to your income then? Is there any provision from his estate to get you some payments or her estate, whichever way it goes. Um, There's a lot, you have to have a lot of forward thinking with these options and um, the writing of how they write up your agreement. Absolutely,
0: is it a shared interest? Is it a separate interest? Those are very important components to Rosemary's point that need to be addressed and discussed with both parties. And I know a lot of parties, they want to do so many things by themselves. So they'll take a model, uh, mm-hmm. quadro and say, oh, we only have to fill in the blanks. That's the worst thing you could possibly do because there's so many different components to a quadro that you really have to understand. And it's, it, it could really leave you in a very difficult situation. Those model quadros are for reference points only. They're not intended to be an entire agreement for any party.
1: I'm so glad you said that because we did make note of that in our article. And I, I if we had, you know, 30 more pages, we could have just written about that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you raised that because. Many people just think, and, and many attorneys think the fallback is the model. We'll just use the model.
2: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <That was> disastrous. Yay, <laughs> oh, yay, yay. It's kind of like when I see someone with a really nice outfit on it and I get it my size and it doesn't look as nice. <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly. Oh, it's oh my gosh! Awful. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So something else that we discussed in the article uh, was the retirement loans, investment gains, and losses.
2: Yeah, a lot of times people don't consider that there's a loan on the 401k, so they'll look at a current value, which is not stating what the loan is, and just say, okay, or they'll say, okay, well, you're, they're splitting the 401k 50-50, or however they're splitting it, and then it comes down to the division, and the loan has to be taken care of. Well, it was never addressed. Well, who's taking care of that loan? And how do you distribute the other assets in accordance with that loan? So it's messy if you don't address that from the beginning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, I mean, we haven't even really touched on like our our favorite, RSU is my favorite. Is that your favorite? Yes. (laughs) Not mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know anything about it.
2: Yeah. Most times the spouse who owns them says they're not eligible, you're not, you're not getting them, or you know this is all I have, or you know what I have, or we spent what you have, and nobody thinks to get the ledger or to learn the difference between the grant price and the exercise price, and if you sold it, and if there's still shares, people leave shares remaining to be sold that are marital without even knowing it. Um, and then we see agreements, Karen, remember the last agreement we saw, uh, we have people come to us asking us to review the agreements on the financial piece, um, and this is a huge section, and it just said, uh, what did it say, husband and wife have RSUs, husband has RSUs to be divided at retirement or something, and we're like, what? That what that Who's ever going to come to, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. No worry about, or, you know.
2: Yeah no taxes who's determining when they're being sold um how are you you know balancing out the taxes where's an exhibit who's keeping track of it for you you know how do you know when it's being sold and how do you know he's he or she's going to tell you when they sell them Um, so it has to be really formally written out and we like exhibits we like everything in an exhibit in the financial world (laughs) um particularly
1: when you when you're talking about granting uh, schedules, vesting schedules, and, and things like that, it doesn't even fit into your typical financial affidavit form. You know what I mean? And so it's very challenging um, to just, uh, in a logistical sense, make sure that that's all properly stated you know, everything has to be disclosed and has to be disclosed properly. The last thing anybody wants is a situation like this where an IRA that I was talking about before, an IRA is not disclosed and now post-divorce, you're talking about opening a judgment, you know? So you need to understand the importance of those documents and and own it yourself as a participant in the divorce process and your divorce and your family. You've got to um, use the professionals you need, but you also have to do your own you, your own work right I mean you can't just put it in other professionals hands and raise your hands to it as easy as that might be because you're emotionally exhausted nervous you know all of those things you have to really be your own best advocate and well sure you're providing yourself with whatever support you need
2: well good news for all of you listening that's why we have the MDS Financial Portrait so imagine, Rosemarie, you have your new client and you get delivered this portrait and has the exhibit of all the RSUs and, and the whole vesting schedule um, because it allows you to do your job as well with them much easier because they are, like you said, they have their self-information that they've obtained and they're able to maybe not comprehend it all but understand what's outlaid there. And then they'll be more in tune to listening to what you, how you can guide them to divide these assets because it's already outlaid there, not questioning and wondering and just scurrying away because you don't understand what the word means. Right. It's so important to have that knowledge and that clarity so that you can make good decisions because I'm guessing the person who doesn't, who's not informed in this scenario probably has children and they're more concerned about how you're gonna help them split a 50-50 custody they don't wanna, they don't wanna do. So it's nice to have this information right there in front of you um, so that you can help. And then you can write up a better agreement with that information, Absolutely. Uh, which is really important for them.
1: It's, it's so critical. It's, you know, it's there's never really an instance where that sort of financial homework getting done before the process is is really the first step. You know, it really is, and and identifying those financial issues so that you are primed and ready to have the discussions you need to have to make good decisions.
2: Do you see a big one, another big one I always see with taxes, you know, making sure that your past taxes were paid and that you have some kind of writing that if there are any past tax issues, especially if you have a couple that owns a business together or separately, that any tax... Um, liabilities that would come up post-divorce from the past, what if it's not covered in an agreement? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's a very, very normal provision to talk about the past. Um, But what a lot of people don't even recognize in their own instance is how much information is in that tax return, right? So a lot of people will just simply think about who's going to get the exemptions for the children, which is relatively almost meaningless at this point. We have tax credits perhaps. Um, head of household. They can talk about that forever, but what about that big carry loss forward? <laughs> Has nobody thought about talking about that? I mean, these are big issues, and so you leave some asset like that on the table, um, That that can really hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, it might be given the structure of their financial agreement that it makes perfect sense for one party, presumably, the one with the higher income or the business or whatever it is to keep that but offset it with another asset. Offset
2: it, Right, right. Don't forget offsetting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a very important component because I think a lot of um, couples will be advised that during the year they get married, um, divorced, you know, to go ahead and file jointly even if they're separated and the wage earner gets a huge benefit sometimes upwards of you know, 50, 60, $70,000. And I think that's what you're talking about, that offset that, you know, there's some kind of uh, reconciliation to go go there because if you're filing jointly post separation like that, you are taking on some kind, some risk of liability. And there is a component of reconciliation that you can have on the table. And I think a lot of um, professionals may overlook that. So it's good that you don't. You, you're very detailed, Rosemary.
1: You know, you have to be, and, and you need to be. And if you're not, then, you know, you've got to make sure that, again, as a person going through the divorce, that your professionals working are all working together. And so potentially you have a mediator who might not be. Hopefully you've got people like you too. Who are reviewing the financial Mm provisions and making sure that those pieces
2: are outlined clearly. Yeah. Yeah. We hold them to doing the homework beforehand. We love doing that.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And to asking really good questions. You know, sometimes to your point, Rosemary, clients want to say, All right, I'm just going to give it to you and you're going to take care of it for me. No, that's the time to get engaged. And so, you know, our portrait does have all of these what we call considerations laid out in the document. But a a lot of couples, if they don't have this, let's just say they don't don't have a MDS financial portrait. So they're coming in and they're going to be dividing all their assets, but they don't know to ask about market fluctuations or loans on the accounts and so forth and all the unique um, questions they should be asking. But let's just say they did. You would be able to address that in the mediation process Because a lot of those topics or a lot of those questions or concerns don't come up until they get to the reviewing attorney. And then the entire agreement falls apart because it wasn't discussed. And that can be a really big deal. Just the concept of the pension, going back to that, is it separate interest or shared interest? That's a huge issue in a lot of pensions. And it could make everything, it could just blow up your entire agreement.
1: Mm-hmm. You know and there's there's not enough that can be said about that. The dynamic of the mediation process is so important. you don't want surprises at the end. you know that's the last thing you want and and, and certainly rather have it at the end than you know six months post divorce. However, you know to have a good mediation process and to have it efficient and to have everybody feel like it was fair and they were heard and they understood and they made good decisions it's not easy. Believe me, I don't mm-hmm. know any clients who want to have a long discussion about shared versus separate. <laughs> I don't really want to have that conversation. But you have to. You have yeah. to have these uncomfortable, you know, uh, tedious conversations. You have to get through the process and feel good about it. And again, making sure that you made the good decisions that you need to make.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you learned so much then moving forward you know, you feel like you're more in control of where you're going and how you're positioning yourself and what it will mean to you. If you're having those conversations with Rosemary during mediation, instead of being blindsided with a review attorney back on your heels, because then the emotion is more, who's going to get upset? How upset are they going to get? Am I, and I'm a is this card important enough to play? Or is this issue important enough to bring up to blow up our entire agreement? So.
1: And that's yeah. a nice mitigating that, right? And so then eventually you have a judge writing this decision that you had no part of. And so, you know, how how disempowering is that? Now you've got to live by it. Now you've got to live by something you weren't even a part of discovering, understanding, and, and involved in the decision-making process. So, you know, a a good mediation or collaborative divorce with the right professionals and the right financial professionals can greatly change the whole experience of divorce. It doesn't have to be scary and nerve wracking. Well, it probably always will be, (laughs) but but much less, much less so. And and it does set up your post-divorce life for a a positive post-divorce life because you, You owned it. You were a part of it. And it's empowering. And now you can start that post-divorce life knowing you made the decisions and they were good decisions.
2: And the more details you have, the better off you are. So if even for little things like you have a joint checking account together, yes, a husband's keeping that account. or wife is keeping that account, but who's re-registering that account? So it's only in that individual's name. You know, or you have a joint credit card. Yes, you're taking one person off, but are you taking yourself off as a um, authorized user as well? So you're not responsible, or that you can't charge on that account. Um, There's so many little things to think about that really, if you have this detailed in your agreement, it you don't have to think about it. You just follow the instructions.
1: Exactly. Agree.
2: I think
0: we have many more blogs to write and podcasts to have. There's so many like very detailed topics that need to be discussed and addressed. And we look forward to doing more of that with you, Rosemary. So this, yeah, this concludes this episode of WeChat Divorce. Details, details. And look for more episodes. You can find us on Podbean or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for being with us.
2: Bye, ladies. Thank you.